You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. And if you're curious about doing an on-air coaching call yourself and sharing your story with my podcast audience... I currently offer those opportunities to patrons of the podcast. To find out more about becoming a patron, go to teachingyoga.net slash patron. That's P-A-T-R-O-N, patron. In fact, I'd love for you to go do that right now. Pause this, and when you come back, we'll jump into today's conversation. Melanie, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. It's so great to have you on here. We were just chatting before I hit record about how you were one of my first 100 conversations project when I was doing market research and got the inspiration to do the podcast. So it's really fun to have you back. It is nice to see how both of us have have grown and, and changed and we're really making things happen. Yeah. And it's, it's been awesome to watch you just grow into this massive entity. And I just continue to learn from you. So this is pretty cool. Thank you. And for my own curiosity, what do you remember from the first conversation that we had? Uh, I remember us discussing, um, pretty much where I was on my yoga journey and where I wanted it to go and where I started. And it was, it was pretty much just a very fluid conversation about where we came from, where we are at the moment and the big fat goals and dreams we had down the road. And what were your goals and dreams at that time? How, like, where are you on that path and how have they changed? Uh, so when we started, I was in the midst of what was a 200, but became a 500 hour. Uh, since then I have got so many more certifications and I wanted to teach, I wanted to bring mindfulness into the school districts. I wanted to really ramp up this knowledge about social, emotional learning. And since then I have, when we were allowed in buildings, I have gone into schools and I I have taught these mindfulness tactics to children and to teachers and I've gone into daycares and I've done, I've gotten to do that. 
but I've actually grown past that now too, which is pretty cool. So now I get to teach other teachers how to do this in class and, and well, pretty much just help them evolve as well as my students. And it trickles down into children and teachers and essential workers. So you have a teacher training now. I do. And is there a specific focus for this teacher training? How do you advertise it? How do you market it? Well, I had no intentions of doing a teacher training. Uh, one of my students came to me and said, I've been working with you for this long. I want you to train me. Oh, okay. So I got it all together, looked up the Yoga Alliance regulations just to give me like a good, uh, a good structure to it. And so that's what we're doing. And the focus, while it is, um, there's a lot of anatomy back down, background, I've been focusing more on the philosophy of it, the ethics of it. Because I feel like there, there's no such thing as, as a normal yoga body. And it's not going to, not everybody sees the same color blue in the sky. So that's kind of the pretense to it. Where here is your base. Here is the information you're supposed to know that covers all the bases. But now let's look at how we break this down. How does this apply? So I give him the information and before we move on, it gets processed in a way that there's a function to it instead of just a formality. So how have you taken a group through this teacher training? Are you currently in the middle of your first one or how many times have you done this? I am in the middle of my first one. Okay. How's it going? Um, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. It will, it, I, I'm focusing more on the quality than the quantity. Like I have no desire to just spit out 200 hour teachers that can spout cues. And I just, I don't want that. And I really have no intentions of doing teacher trainings unless somebody comes to me and says, hi, I'm one of your students. Like, can you move me along? Okay, so basically you're planning to do this on an as-requested basis. The teacher trainings, yes. Okay. You know, I've taught teacher trainings for many years, and I will say it's something that you can't be prepared for. Just like we were talking about, again, before we hit record, you were saying building the plane as you fly it. That's, you got to do it that way. You have to learn from experience. And it's just like teaching. You know, there's no teacher training that actually prepares you to teach, what really prepares you to teach is getting into the classroom or the Zoom room, wherever you're teaching at this moment and, and doing it. Exactly. I mean, he's he's been lucky enough where his he's a jujitsu instructor. So he can take a lot of the things that we learn and then immediately start to apply it in his classes, like his jujitsu classes. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. So you have one person you're taking, like, this is a personal teacher training. Yes. Yes. Great. 
And so you had some questions about money. We started this conversation on social media and you're asking me, do, do I think you should include a module on the business of yoga in your teacher training? And then you started to reveal that you have some inner conflicts about charging about yoga in general. And I was like, wow, I think we need to have an actual conversation about this. I'm not sure that I can just type out like a response. There's so much here. Um, and I wasn't clear at that time that this is a single person teacher training because that does, it's really cool that he can get that one-on-one -on -one attention. Um, but it does change things a bit because you can adapt your curriculum to the needs of one individual person. That's amazing. Yes and no. Like there's a lot of things that are included in the teacher training, proper business tactics, how to hold those conversations, how to marketing and, and, and things of that nature. Like that is already included in the teacher training, like that, that business ethics, not just the yogi ethics. But when I had asked you about offering it as something separate, would it be more, it would be more geared towards those other teachers who have taken trainings in other places where it was left out. I, I know several other people that have taken their trainings and I was like, oh, cool. Like, what did you learn? Because each tra teacher training is different and I'm, I'm a forever student. I'm like so knowledge hungry that I, I want to know. And more often than not, there's just Swiss cheese pieces missing. And that's one of them. So you're considering offering like a standalone module that other people can attend. Yes. And the other wrinkle to this is that you have some internal conflicts about making money teaching. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sits, that sits kind of heavy. I've always had that that notion in the back of my head about charging what seems to be exuberant amounts of money almost anywhere you look for knowledge that I also feel should be shared. So let me ask you this. Let's take you out of it and let's take the individual students out of it. And this, let's just look at other teachers. Let's say the teachers who you have really learned from. And I want you to ask yourself, maybe even think of a teacher that has really um, been special for you, like has offered you wisdom that has changed your life. I want you to ask yourself, does that person deserve to be supported? Yes, absolutely. Does that person deserve to have their basic needs, their, their livelihood, their means taken care of so that they can Again, teach? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You're interested in the philosophy of yoga. And one of the things that I all, always come back to when we have this conversation around money is the four aims of life from the Hindu tradition Arta, Dharma, Kama, Moksha. Arta is the means. Arta is how do we survive? How do we live in safety? How do we have the resources to reach people and connect with people and fulfill the next 
aim of life, the next goal of life, our dharma. And even how are we supported to work on the path towards liberation? If we're not paid, we need a different way of getting our means. We need a different way of meeting our own needs. And there's nothing wrong with having another job or having somebody support you. Those are, to me, this is all very morally neutral. This is all great. And for many of us, teaching is the best way that we know to be able to get our needs met and be able to focus on our passion and our dharma. This is, this is where the, where it starts to get kind of crinkly because we know that in order to really be good teachers, we have to focus on it, right? It's not so easy to be an incredible teacher when you have a really stressful, big full-time job also. So for a lot of yoga teachers, we choose to teach full-time because this is what we wanna spend our time doing. And we believe that by spending more time on it, being more focused on it, being more immersed in it, we will do a better job at sharing it with other people. So it's an individual path. But if you choose the path of livelihood, then unless something makes you different from these other teachers, you deserve to be supported. I think that's quite a, I think that's a beautiful way to articulate it. And it's funny because these are, like I said before, like I, I know that what I bring to the table has, has value. Uh, I, I don't know. It's almost like this boulder that's sitting right there where it's like, you should not be asking for like my, the way I charge, I feel is fair. I generally don't charge a lot because I want people to have this knowledge. I want people to have this ability. I feel like this is something that everybody should have an opportunity to get to, but it's just sitting. And right there where it's like, don't you feel bad for charging this much money for something that like you found out on your own? Don't you feel bad charging? Like, where did that come from? Oh, I have no idea. It just, it's just one of those there things. I guess maybe because, you know, I've worked physically and, and mentally and emotionally at a, at a higher level for most of my life. So now here I am doing something that comes so naturally. And it's like, you, I'm getting paid to do this. Like, so you okay. feel guilty because it's easy and fulfilling for you. I guess maybe. Okay. I guess. I've got a couple ways, a couple places to go here. But the first one is, again, look at it in the context of somebody else. If you had a friend who got like an amazing job and they loved it and they were doing a really great job at their job and they were getting paid really well, would you think, well, that's not fair. If you love it, you shouldn't be getting paid well. <laughs> 
<laughs> absolutely not. Again, it makes sense when it has nothing to do with me. It's like those memes you see, like yoga people are crazy. Like that's why we're, you know, so many of us have that, that, that tick, that baggage, that boulder that keeps us from going from A to B sometimes, or we have to slowly climb over it yeah. and slowly get to it. So the other place is twofold. One is that you're not concealing the knowledge of yoga from anybody or putting it behind a paywall. There's more free yoga out there currently than any one person could ever consume in a lifetime. So the knowledge is not what they're paying for when they pay you. They're paying for your time and attention. They're paying for your help. The knowledge is out there. Anybody with internet access can Google yoga, yoga basics, foundations of yoga, and then more and more sophisticated as they get ready, as they are able to. So you're not, when you charge for yoga, it's not making yoga inaccessible to those who can't afford to pay you for your time. It is making an agreement about what your time and attention is worth in order for you to be supported. So that's one side of it. And that's a really important side because there's this, for many yoga teachers, there's this fear of like, it's not ethical to charge because who am I to conceal or hold back this information? And that's a mistaken thought. You're not concealing or holding back anything. There's too much information out there. What they're actually paying you to do is curate the information, to filter it, to narrow it down. <laughs> so the other side, and this one is so mind-blowing when you can really wrap your mind around it. Have you considered this dynamic that people tend to put more of themselves into something that they have paid more for? And that by charging less for yoga, you actually are showing your students that it's not that valuable and they shouldn't invest that much of themselves in it. That is quite the thought to wrap around. Especially when you take into consideration that what could be considered an available monetary allowance for some people varies greatly. Like the people who could probably use it a lot more have very little monetary amount to give. I think it just depends. That part is so complicated. We could all use it. Yes. And that is, again, this is where like the, the, all the thoughts get tangled up and really all we're doing is, is subjectively looking at the end thought. Okay. So here's the deal. You already know 
And I'm sure that you're not going to argue with me about this, that you're not capable of teaching every single person on the planet yoga. No arguments. Okay. And that probably there, it's not realistic for you to, for example, try to go over to Africa and teach people who live on, you know, less than a dollar a day yoga. Like you probably don't have the resources to go do that. Not right now. No. Okay, cool. So (laughs) there's some limitations on who you can help based on your own needs to be supported, your own needs to have means. So where that limit is, is not a moral question. It's a practical question. That's a wildly comforting way to look at it. Taking our stories outside of the conversation about money and our, our moralizing about it is very comforting. Not to say that ethics don't play into it, but there's a difference between ethics and morals. And for some reason, money is one of these topics that just gets so wrapped up in our ideas of worth. I think it's worth. I think that's, I think that's why is that money and worth, it, it creates these, this tangled web where we can't see right from left anymore. Making yoga accessible to people with very few resources is a beautiful thing to do. And I think teachers who want to do that need to be really clear about that and create a nonprofit or a charity or some kind of organization where they solicit donations and people with more means support those with less means. And the teachers are not, it's not riding on the teacher's backs because that's not sustainable. I like that idea a lot. That is a thought that I could get behind where it would allow me to feel that balance of making it available to those who may not have it otherwise and also charging for other services as well. Mm -hmm. And charging for your time. Yeah. Because for example, if you have a nonprofit, you, you can still get paid for your time you as an individual can get paid. And the other option is to build it into a business model. So some people, I think creating a charity, a nonprofit, an entity that solicits donations and isn't liable for taxes is the perfect approach. Um, But that's a pretty um, paperwork heavy thing to do. So I know also people who have these values who create businesses and bake into the business model a win-win. What I mean by this is that you have to get the business to be sustainable first. You have to get to the point where you're getting enough clients paying you enough that you can then figure out 
I can devote this much of my time to scholarship clients or working with people at through another nonprofit organization or however you want to do it, basically. Right. So where you say, okay, those who can afford me, I'm going to charge and I'm going to find some structures and still you have to have boundaries and parameters because you can't do it all and you have to set some limits somewhere. And if you try to set the limits in the moment, then you're spending all of your energy setting limits. So that's why you got to set those limits ahead of time. You got to plan this out, vision it, and then just you can just take action on the plan that you've created. So that's another approach that that I've seen people take as well. That's the approach that I take. I work, you know, I have been working on making my business sustainable and I have lots of ways, for example, even this on our coaching call that we're doing right now that I can offer my work, my support to people without charging them. What other ways do you suggest, do you know about that people have cultivated this uh, sustainability and created this ba- like this balance, like where the boundaries are. Can you break that down for me a little bit more? So there's lots of people who have a ton of free YouTube videos and then have paid upsells. And then there's lots of people who have formal scholarship programs where you apply and these are the parameters. And then there's other people who, anybody who asks for a scholarship, they just give it to them. I think that the key for that last one where you basically give a scholarship to anybody who asks for it does require that your business model be generally sustainable first. Understood. But fewer people ask than you would think. I could, I could see that. I've seen a lot of places where you get this um, opportunity to pay as you wish, where they have three set values or, you know, the option to pay whatever you'd like. And I, I enjoy the fact that that calls for a sense of honesty. Yeah. And ultimately, as you look at those numbers, and you see what's coming in, you got to make sure that what you want to make or what you need to make is, is being met. Usually what people do is they set the upper limit kind of high. And what they really want is people to take the middle road. And that's what most people take. I do appreciate the tiered kind of sliding scale pricing structures Um, I think those are great. I have been, I've not experimented with them myself, but I have been kind of looking into experimenting with them. And um, if there's anybody out there listening who's been doing that, I'd love to hear what your results have been. And Melanie, if you experiment with it, I hope you'll stay in touch and and let me know what, what comes of it. It is, it is definitely something that is on the docket. I think after I get my feet a little wetter than just my big toe, I mean, I literally just became an LLC not even a year ago. 
like an official independent contractor, my own schedule, my own classes, just put out my first six week workshop just last week. Awesome. Good for you. Thank you. I am taking it very slowly. It, but it, it, it will be something that I will play with down the line. Again, hoping to find that uh, balance between a means and a service. Yeah. Since we're talking about pricing, I've shared this recently on Instagram, but to me, the sweet spot of pricing, we already talked about like you should feel excited that people are paying you for that much for it. Like that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And you should also feel like they're getting an amazing deal. And that's what I'm looking for when I create a price where I, I check mark both of those things. They're getting a deal. I'm getting a deal. Win, win. That's what we want, right? Yes. Yeah. That's exactly exactly it and that is possible that is doable yeah I wish there was like a a, again like a a basis where people are like oh this is how much I charge for this and be like okay you know judging by the demographics like that could work here or that's way too low for here or that's way too high for here or and then you have to take into consideration there's such a difference between teaching virtually and teaching in person. So that's a, another thing on the the price to take into consideration. In which direction? In the direction that I do charge less for virtual than I do in person. Well, I wouldn't feel the need to pay any less as a student, because I don't have to travel. I'm in the comfort of my own home. I can be more private if I want to. I would pay just as much personally. Okay. Okay. I haven't actually, I haven't heard anybody around here, like in my location, maintaining the prices. I know a lot of studios are adjusting to keep whoever they can. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here is another really, really important thing to talk about when we talk about money and pricing. We wanna know what other people are charging, but I don't think we wanna copy them. No, not at all. What we, why we want to know what other people are charging and what they're charging for is that we can differentiate our offer. Yes. So it's like the opposite of copying. (laughs) It's like the anti-copying. We want to know what other people are doing so that we can make sure to position what we're doing in a way that for some people, it's a no-brainer. For the right people, for the people who are really positioned to benefit from working with you specifically, that for them, it's a no-brainer. You're definitely much more eloquent at speaking. And I appreciate that because it, it, it shows up in the head, like the brain knows what I'm trying to do, but the rest of me is like, eh, bleh. 
Maybe just been working on it a little longer. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I think this conversation is so valuable for yoga teachers because this is, these are the conversations we're not having in teacher training. No, like I didn't get any of these conversations. <laughs> and in a sense, that's okay because so many of the people who take a 200 hour never teach. That's why I think these conversations really belong in the 500 hour. And you know, what's really funny is I think that goes back to that notion where uh, of charging because people are charging thousands of dollars to never become the yoga teacher. Well, that's fine because people get value from those 200 hour trainings. And that actually speaks back to that conversation we were having earlier about when you pay for something, you really commit to it. So that is actually not a model that I have a problem with. There's a lot of people who are interested in yoga. They take a teacher training to go deeper. Some, sometimes they think maybe I'll teach and then they get out of there and they're like, no, that's too hard. But they had a transformational experience inside of that program that was well worth the money they spent. So there's a variety of programs. Some are great, some are not great. But in general, I don't have a problem with people taking yoga teacher trainings and spending thousands of dollars and never becoming a teacher because there's lots of other benefits you can get from committing to a yoga practice for nine months. But it also speaks to this disconnect between the teachers feeling like they can't then charge their students much because, and this is like a real question for all listeners, everybody listening, do you think that you would be as committed to your yoga practice if you hadn't taken a training and how much of the commitment that you made to that training was based on, well, I invested thousands of dollars here. I really better show up for it. This is not a simple answer, but it's an inquiry worth having, especially around this idea of feeling guilty charging. I'm speaking from my personal experience that I have had several times when I knew I wanted to develop a skill set, I knew that the knowledge was available for free out there. And I also knew that I would not commit and have the discipline to learn that knowledge on my own. And I chose to invest in the guidance and the personal guidance from a teacher that I trusted, I connected to, I respected. And I got that value back many times over because of the way I showed up for that investment. Understood. I get that from that perspective. Yeah. So the problem is that these are complex conversations, but I do think that many yoga teachers are approaching them in a very overly simplistic and one-sided way. And they're not recognizing that paying for something can be of benefit to the person paying, right? They think in their head, oh, I'm a, I'm a taker. If I charge the amount that I need to live on, that makes me a taker. That makes me taking advantage of. And not ask, saying instead, well, how can I make this win-win? How can we both win in this situation? And there's lots of different ways that that could pan out. And that's what I'm interested in. Yes, so am I. I, I like that 
notion of the win-win and going forward, I know I will intentionally shift my perspective to think of it more in those terms. Awesome. Because there, there does need to, there does need to be that, that shift, especially because I don't like my other job. I like this job. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you from the outside, I want you to get paid for what you love doing. I think it's fair <laughs> from, from the outside. I think it's fair. And I think you do too. When you imagine somebody else in the same situation. Very much so. Although if it gives you any glimmer of hope, I have, since I started doing this, oh, so many years ago, I have bumped up some of my charging. Great. So, yeah. Slow learner. You know, <laughs> this is like one of the deepest samskaras in the human brain that we're talking about here. I always, it's that notion of, of, of the non-hoarding, that not taking too much, because then there's that morality and ethics, and then there goes a the snowball that is my brain. Yeah, you know, I don't think what they were talking about yoga teachers getting their, their, their living expenses met when they were talking about hoarding. I think they were talking about the billionaires. Yes. Yes. I get that. It's still, it still allows me to apply it to myself where it's, you know, living within a reasonable means and teaching within a reasonable means and not stretching yourself too thin. And it's all a dance. Exactly. It definitely is. And I think that, you know, the other thing that I would suggest is to have some people in your life who can offer you this perspective on a regular basis because you will need reminders. So whether it's like best friends, partners, just have some people who you check in with regularly and you say, okay, here's what I'm working on and I want you to hold me to it. My partner tells me quite regularly that I should be charging more. It's like his war cry. You know what the other great thing is that once this episode is released, you can like put yourself on a schedule to listen to it. I like that. I'll do that. It'll be like my audio post-it note whenever I'm getting ready to do or launch or somebody comes up to me and they're like, hey, I heard how much Okay, here we go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I will I will pin it and have it ready to go with your voice going, don't be stupid. Come on, you're worth it. I don't th think I ever called you stupid. No, you never called me stupid. I just asked you some questions. No, you have this very wonderfully poetic means of expressing things that somewhere in the back of my mind I was already very well aware of but it does help to have somebody that you look up to and respect the information they hold telling you awesome so thank you you're welcome it's my pleasure
I am so glad that you wanted to come onto the podcast and talk about this because it's so needed. This conversation is so needed because you are not the only one who's having these thoughts and having these challenges. And so it's so it's so helpful for me to have a real person to talk to because if I'm doing a solo episode about this, I kind of feel like I'm just talking into the air and I can't tell if it's landing or not, you know? Yeah. Nope. It landed. Okay. Nice. Well received. Any follow-up questions, any last things that I can clarify for you? No. But there should probably be the expectation where somewhere down the road you'll get, you know, a little pop-up from me going, hey, guess what? <gasps> awesome. I'd love to hear. I would love to hear from you. Absolutely. Thank you, doll. Please stay in touch. It. I absolutely will. And you, all the best going forward. It has been such a joy of mine to watch you just keep kicking ass and taking aims. Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are, and that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And also want to give a huge thank you to the patrons of the podcast who contribute to the expenses on a monthly basis. If you're curious about deepening your connection to this community and becoming a patron, I hope you'll go to teachingyoga.net slash patron to find out about all of the perks and benefits of becoming a patron. I'm so very, very grateful to have you as a listener, and I would be incredibly delighted and honored to also have you as a patron. Keeping these podcast episodes free from outside ads is really important to me, and the patrons of the podcast are what make that possible. Once again, the link to get all the details and to sign up is teachingyoga.net slash patron. And whether or not contributing to the podcast is something you're interested or is a possibility for you in this moment, I hope that you'll remember to center your own self-care and your personal practice this week. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast.